I am calling the uh, Peace River Town Council, regular Town Council for August the 27th to order. Uh, and uh, the time on the record should be uh, four minutes after five. And uh, <clears throat> the reason for the lateness is the uh, trying to get the, uh, the telephone people on the, on the phone. Um, we have an agenda in front of us. I believe there, will, there are three additions, Mr. Uh, Town, and uh, where, what, what are they and where are they going? Your Worship, we have um, an information briefing note on 2018 road maintenance and the status of, of such. Um, Mr. McQuaig, Director McQuaig is available to offer a verbal update on the Neighborhood Infrastructure Renewal Program of Council So Wishes. Oh, what was that one? Uh, that's a verbal update on the Neighborhood Infrastructure Renewal Program. Thank you. And the third item is an in-camera item uh, relating to contractual item that we can't discuss publicly at this point, so I'd like to add that also. So if I can get a motion to accept the agenda as amended. Sure. All in favor of Mr. Ford's motion that effect. In favor. Um, that takes us to uh, adoption of the minutes. Um, the minutes of August 13th uh, being up on the, are part of the agenda package. Or no, they, they weren't part of the agenda package, so they were open. They didn't go there now. Nonetheless, uh, people had a chance to go through the August 13th minutes. I uh, did get a chance to get to them, Your Worship. I would uh, propose a motion to adopt the minutes as written. Is that because they're all correct, or you found yeah, the no, that was here? Yeah, my, hand, my, <laughs> my hands touched them, there's no question that they're correct. <laughs> Okay, that's all the transparency we need. <laughs> okay, Mr. Mr. Good, they're good? Motion okay. over here, yes. Okay, all in, uh, take a, uh, the motion is on the table for Mr. Needham, all in favor? In favor. Uh, <clears throat> any public hearings, Mr. Town? There are not, Your Worship. Uh, we have four presentations. Um, the, the first one will be from the, the RCMP. Crime mapping sounds very CIS. So I will give it over to Mr. Manassas. Go from there. Uh, so I know a lot of you around the table. My name is Corporal Dave Brown. I'm with the uh, Peace River Detachment here. So essentially what we've come to speak to you here about today is uh, to determine if the town has an interest in uh, buying into the RCMP's uh, public facing crime mapping system. Uh, this is a system that's being rolled out division wide that is throughout the province of Alberta and essentially it's one uh, component to a multifaceted approach to dealing with crime throughout the province. So recently uh, in the media and whatnot, uh, it's been quite apparent that there's been uh, an increase in property crime throughout uh, not just uh, the Peace region, but throughout uh, the province and Western Canada as well. 
in response to that, the RCMP and uh, various levels of government have earmarked uh, funds and money and allocated resources to deal with that from an operational side of things. But then there's also a non-operational uh, component to it as well uh, that uh, we're implementing and uh, that deals with the public facing crime mapping. We want to touch on that with you here today and do a short presentation on what that entails. Essentially it rolls into uh, some of the uh, crime prevention through environmental design initiatives that uh, we've been working with Councillor Ford uh, on over the last little while. And uh, so it ties in nicely. And essentially what the idea of the public crime mapping is, is that we provide uh, the public with a transparent uh, view of the crime that's being reported in their communities uh, over a period of time. And the idea is that the first uh, means of dealing with crime in our community is to understand uh, what it looks like and to allow that to be public as well. So what is RCMP's uh, public facing crime mapping? Well, essentially it provides the public with a visual representation of the so they're able to go to the, the town's website or a county's website, right, which uh, should the council be interested, uh, would be incorporated into the Town of Peace River website. Now, I understand there is a crime prevention component in the website already. I, I've, I've taken a look at it as well. So there's a potential for our crime mapping to be incorporated right into that site. So essentially, the crime mapping shows a number of types of crimes being reported in their general locations in the community. So the idea behind it is, is that as a member of the public, I could log into the Town of Peace, uh, Peace River website, and if there's a crime trend in my neighborhood, right, that it might provide me uh, with, uh, you know, the motivation to go out and and make sure that my property is locked up and secured, and that my valuables are put away. So if I'm if I'm to log into the website, and I see that there have been a number of uh, thefts from motor vehicles, for example, uh, reported in my in my neighborhood, uh, that might compel me to do something about it, right? To go out there, take that extra step for prevention, right? One of the challenges that we face is, I would guesstimate, and this isn't based on numbers, this is my own interpretation of what I see coming into the front counter and the complaints that our members take, is that between 90 and 95% of the call volume that we receive with respect to property crimes or crimes of opportunity, where a vehicle has been left with the, uh, you know, a set of keys inside the ashtray or underneath the mat or underneath the visor, right? Or, uh, you know, items of value being left in a vehicle that's not secure, right? So the idea is that, uh, in conjunction with the, the CTED initiatives where we've been going out and distributing and, and Councilor Ford has been distributing on our behalf, uh, you know, flyers for the, for the doors of the vehicles to indicate that property has been removed, people will now be able to take a look and see where this, you know, crime is, people are most being impacted by crime and, and they can, uh, you know, take steps to protect their property in those areas. It raises public awareness of what uh, types of crime are occurring. Right? So I know in my neighborhood generally what's being reported, whether it's break and enters, right? whether it's thefts from vehicles, whether it's thefts of vehicles, it's vandalism, that sort of thing. It gives the neighborhood an opportunity to react. It allows the community, police, and civic leaders to work together to address hotspots. So through the crime mapping, we're gonna be able to take a look publicly, it's gonna be visible. Uh, you know, are there hotspots in the community that we need to make some effort to address, right? Is it a lighting issue? Is it an environmental design issue? Is there something design-wise that as uh, civic leaders, we can work together uh, to to change or alter to to like and make that uh, that area less appealing to to criminals, right? Is it uh, an area where a police response would be appropriate, right? Well, or is it an area where we can just work with the community to try and limit the the amount of crime that happens there, right? Whether it be locking up, securing their items, etc. It improves the flow of information between the public, police, and community leaders. Essentially, if we have uh, two or three. 
uh, reports of thefts from vehicle overnight, right? Those things aren't likely to attract immediate release from us, right? So it might be information that's spoken about, uh, you know, on the Facebook page and the Peace River General Forum. There's not something that we're officially going to do a release for, right? It just wouldn't be practical to, to deal with that kind of quantity or volume, right? Uh, and uh, putting that information out there isn't necessarily overly helpful, but however, uh, we with the crime map, we'll be able to see crime trends and uh, it'll be easy for people to identify that by logging into the website. And it serves as a crime prevention tool as discussed. So what does it look like? Well, the crime mapping was uh, piloted in St. Albert, right? And they had a successful pilot of their program. They've now gone live and we're ready to go live throughout the province. In fact, since our training uh, a few months back, we've been inputting our data uh, for several months now. Uh, so our map is ready to go. It has the information contained within it. It's ready to go live. So this is an example of what the crime map looks like. So if you were to go to uh, the City of St. Albert's crime mapping system, this is incorporated into their webpage, and this is what it looks like. So essentially on the left-hand side, you can get an idea for the types of crimes that are being reported to the police. And this, uh, this spans a two-week time span, and I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit uh, more in, a, in some detail here in a bit. But vandalism complaints, uh, 14, uh, breaking enters, uh, thefts from motor vehicles, it breaks all those occurrence types down and then it plots them on a map so you generally have an idea of where these occurrences are being reported. So what occurrence details are publicly viewable? So when, if on the previous slide you saw the, the heading there for, for vandalism, for mischief complaints, right? When you, when you click on that, it expands into a, another field, right? And it shows you the different complaints that were reported to the police. When you click on any one of those complaints, it'll bring up a little pop-up icon and it'll show you exactly, uh, you know, the area in which it was reported, uh, the kind of complaint it was, right? And it gives you the police file number and the reported date as well. So the idea behind this is, is if I was traveling down the road yesterday around four o'clock in the afternoon and I saw something that looked uh, somewhat suspicious to me, but I didn't think it was important enough to call the police or alert them to it, right? Uh, and then today I look into the crime map, right? And I see that uh, there was, uh, you know, occurrence that was reported in that general area around the same time that I made this observation. I'm more likely to realize that my observations might be something meaningful and important to contact the police and let them know about. Also, with us providing the file number there, uh, it makes it easier for people to reference when they're providing us with tip information. So which crimes and locations are viewable? Well, occurrences spending the last two weeks are publicly viewable. Now, on the back end, we're able to, to get a bigger picture of what's going on and we're able to, to plot it back to the beginning of our data entry. But the idea is that it's supposed to be meaningful information that's current and relevant. So if we're plotting a year back in terms of occurrences, well, hotspots may have come and they may have gone and they may have disappeared or reappeared as a result of uh, you know, community initiatives, uh, civic initiatives, uh, you know, police response and intervention in those areas. So to keep it meaningful, right, uh, we plot just the, uh, the last two weeks of information from our detachment on the crime map. So only property crimes such as theft, stolen vehicles, break and enters, and vandalism are plotted on the map. We're not interested in including persons' crimes, and that uh, deals somewhat with uh, you know privacy concerns and issues as well, right? We want to give people an idea of the property crime that's occurring in their communities and their neighborhoods. Uh, missing or persons uh, reports are plotted on the map. Uh, an idea of that being as well that it's another avenue for the public to uh, to see the, these important documents, right? And we can attach. Uh, under the occurrence details, a poster of the missing individual, that sort of thing. Uh, person's crimes are not included in the crime mapping. Uh, crimes are not plotted precisely. So 
out of concern for privacy issues, right? If we have a uh, break into a residence that's, that's reported in the neighborhood, we're not gonna drop the pin right on top of the residence, right? I mean, that would be a, a potential safety concern, right? It would be a privacy concern as well. So when we have these incidents that's re that are reported, they're, they're plotted generally in the neighborhood, but it's not directly placed to any one person's property or residence. Uh, so when we are plotting it, uh, we're putting it in nearby streets, intersections, or regions, right? We want people to get an idea of what's being reported without compromising people's privacy. And occurrences that might not typically attract media release uh, are, of course, publicly viewable then. So how is crime mapping updated and maintained? Well, uh, support staff at the detachment update the crime map daily, uh, with the exception of weekends and, uh, and holidays as well, right? So the idea is that we're providing current and relevant information to the public. Uh, a daily occurrence report is run and applicable occurrences are plotted on the crime map. And our goal is to update that crime map uh, daily, excluding the weekends and the holidays as discussed. So the crime mapping is hosted by the RCMP and K Division, right? And, and can be incorporated into the town's website free of charge. So essentially we host all the information and it's, sim it's as simple as embedding a link into your site to make it viewable on, on the town of P Service uh, site. Uh, service is provided free of charge to the municipality and the public. And sure that a town or an MD wish to opt out of the crime mapping area can be vetted out of our map. So uh, some rationale, if I, if I were to live in a smaller community, say Dixonville, for example, and I had some concerns about uh, privacy and whatnot, perhaps that community might elect to opt out of the program. Uh, that, would be, that would be up to them, of course. And it, should they do so, uh, the area is simply vetted out of the map. And it's just, uh, you know, it's not something where we plot the occurrences. Um, that's essentially our, our crime mapping system. Any questions? Yeah. Um, just one, Dave. Um, just on item number one on the current slide, uh, as far as the support staff at the detachment updating that map daily, <coughs> what are the costs involved? Like I know, it, I know it's free to the municipality, but what are the costs involved in regards to having that uh, support staff do that job? How much time is it going to take them to do that? Well, essentially, if uh, we're plotting daily occurrences, I mean, the volume is relatively low uh, for you know the area that we police. So we'd be looking at maybe about a five or 10 minute uh, dedication every morning as part of their duties. So it's uh, relatively minimal from, from our perspective. When we first got up and running, it took a little bit to plot back in a couple weeks, right? And, and get a bigger picture of what we were dealing with. But now that we're up and running, it's about a five or 10 minute maintenance every morning at most. Just uh, yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, just uh, on the map, just in terms of the updating, I, I get the part about administration staff going to update this, but let's let's work ahead a year. Uh, we know that the town of Peace River. I, I'm sure that there's a 30% turnover in this town every 18 months. There's new landlords, there's new residents, there's new neighborhoods. Uh, things change, so I'm looking at a crime map that says. Area A has got auto thefts and whatever. So now I'm 18 months from this. So when does the data become old or updated, or does it always stay on there? So the older data. So only thing that's viewable publicly is the last two weeks, the last 14 days of occurrences, and it automatically removes occurrences that are. So there's no, that. there's no, there's no history, if you will. Well, the there is from the back end, so we would be able to view it, right, as a as an intelligence tool for the police. Uh, but in terms of publicly visible data, there's no danger that, uh, you know, if this program for whatever reason gets discontinued in the future that you would come to the website and see data from, you know, a year ago and be looking at data that uh, you might, might suggest an issue that's already been addressed. Okay. <coughs> 
Your Worship, I have a question. Well, fire away. Uh, thanks for your information, Corporal Brown, and I know it's difficult when we're phoning in for people to hear and stuff like that. Uh, I really do appreciate the positive parts that you're talking about with regards to this crime mapping, certainly when we're looking at partnering between community and, and the detachment. My question really is, is what is the downside of this? What, what can we see as the downside of this? Um, you, we touched on the, the crime prevention that's taking place currently on Facebook. Um, I'm not sure that I think that's in our best interest, but so what, what do you see as being the negative side to this project? One of, well, this is the third presentation of this kind that we've uh, had the benefit of doing for various uh, towns and councils and community groups. Uh, one concern that had arisen was, well, if a per member of the public hypothetically were looking to move to our community, right, and they bring up, they go to the, let's say hypothetically, the Town of Peace River website, and uh, they're directed to the crime prevention area and they see the crime map, right? Is this gonna be a cause for concern for, for local residents in terms of the uh, crime that's being plotted and happening in our community? Uh, but I guess my response to that would be is that that information is being discussed uh, whether it be, you know, uh, in verbal interactions with people from day to day or on the Town Peace Service Facebook page or on the uh, Anything Cops page or the, you know, the general forums, right? I, people are going to be discussing this and I prefer that from our perspective, we're providing the accurate information in a timely and objective manner so that people can come to us to determine exactly, you know, if, if there's a lot of talk about a crime trend in a particular neighborhood, that people can actually come to us and take a look at our map that we're updating and see what the reality of that situation is. Is it being blown out of proportion on the general forum? Or is it actually something a little bit different? Or hypothetically, if uh, there had been, uh, you knew that you were a victim of a crime in an area, but you had neglected to uh, call the police to report it, right? and you were to take a look at the crime map and see other similar occurrences in that area, I may be more inclined than to call, pick up the phone and report that even though I thought it wasn't, wasn't worth reporting to the police. Great point, thank you. There's a kind of thing, Cops Facebook page? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just one uh, final comment, Your Worship, on, on points five and six, and I, I can't help myself. Uh, the service is provided free of charge to the municipality. We're just for the record, and those listening, it's not free of charge. The town of Peace River pays $1.6 million for an RCMP contract. So it's not free. Uh, we're already paying, it's, I would suggest it's an added service, which is great. Uh, and then I would also suggest, you mentioned the municipalities in here, i.e. the MD, well, they don't pay. So uh, a small point, but if I was doing your presentation, I would make it clear to the rural guys, they're not paying. We are, and I think everybody knows that, and that's always been a sore spot with us. Uh, fair enough, point taken. Uh, it's an added, uh, added service that we're providing, and, uh, and it's going to be provided to everybody across the province should they opt in. I'd be surprised if the municipality said no to you. Well, on the flip side, the one bonus is, we use this to fold into access some provincial resources, like, uh, like for a lot of these uh, provincial teams, that I agree nobody else pays, but we have to justify why we're asking. Money's tight everywhere. So if we want to ask for a crime reduction unit, if we want to run a, a street level drug project, we have to support that by showing that that crime is actually taking place. And we have to show them that there's gonna be value in that investment. So yeah, it is an added service, but at the same time, it also feeds into another added service where the town gets the benefit of maybe a crime reduction team coming here 
or a drug project or a auto theft project, or if we wind up getting a, a big program, surveillance programs, all that has to be supported and driven. We can't just spend money now because politically we say, we're having a lot of thefts in the North End, so we need to address it. They want specifics, what kind of thefts, and then we talk about how that leads into intelligence with policing. If people are stealing Ford trucks and there's an issue with Ford trucks and they're susceptible, then we want to run these big programs that target Ford trucks. I don't have, I, just no. to clarify, I don't have any objection to the work of the RCMP. You, you guys got a crappy job. I mean, there's no shortage of work in town. My, no. issue, my issue is not everybody pays. That's my issue. Well, and, and, and I, I, I've had RCMP members move to town and they, they wonder, anyway, you get me off track here. They, they wonder why it costs real estate in this town. So why and they go to the county and buy something? Well, there's all kinds of reasons. But my point being on your presentation, I would make the point that it's not free to a municipality. We're banned. And, and I can understand your frustration with the funding formula, but we really do try and give the town the best bang for the buck and to try and save the town every dollar we can. You guys do a great job. I, I couldn't do your work. I, that's not what this is about. He's just trying to get some more money out of the counties for you. And I don't blame anybody for trying that. That doesn't mean he's been successful. <laughs> okay. Uh, any more questions? Oh, one more. Oh, well, it's not a question. I just want to thank you, uh, you guys, for uh, getting that phone call to me and getting you on the agenda. And I will be asking council for their support on this program. Before we end, if, we, if I could get that, uh, uh, victim services here, Brian Kirk has done a great job. So we wound up getting one of the opiate crisis grants, and so we're going to be giving presentations to Peaceur. The only issue and the challenge with us is, uh, for whatever reason, the government wants to hold on to the title. So last year it was called the Eye of the Storm, and the presenter was what as dry as dry could be, so it wasn't very well received. It was the right, it was the right concept, but it was the wrong presenter. So. They won't allow us to change the title, so we don't want the sequel to be as boring as the first one. We have a different presenter, so when we start putting that media campaign out there, if you hear that, hey, I saw this last year, it's a totally different presenter, you're just not allowing us to change the name. And again, there's politics tied to that. The second one is uh, Brian was able to get um, a $25,000 grant for the town Services for addressing domestic violence, which I know was one of the community's priorities, so if he's more willing to come to a presentation on that at any time, so those are two things that are coming here. Probably we're hoping between November and December once we get the final authorization to do some advertising. So sell that opiate crisis talk, but uh, just tell everyone to run into it. It's not the same presenter because I have to agree it was painful. So when that comes forward, would you be communicating that information to uh, town administration so we can get that up on, for sure. uh, yep. on our crime prevention stuff? Well, for sure we will. Uh, with respect uh, to the crime mapping, should council like to, to, to move forward with this, uh, what would be required technically is uh, we have IT personnel in Edmonton that we would simply hook up with uh, whoever runs and maintains the website here and they would uh, fairly painlessly from what I'm told be able to incorporate it. So I would have to be in touch with whoever uh, is in charge of that. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having us, I appreciate it. Thank you. If I could call the Peace Library system up to the speaker's table. With your permission, Mayor Tarkin, could I pass out something in both directions? Yes, please. Yeah.
I don't usually do this, sorry. Well, good afternoon. and I'm the director of Peace Library System and I'm pleased to bring this update to council. I do try to get out to councils after every election year uh, just to make sure councillors are familiar with our services. Uh, I, I'm not sure how many of you are new people around the, on the block here. Are there, are there many new people? <laughs> At least one. There's one on the phone. <laughs> okay. Um, so for the benefit of new counselors and maybe a bit of a refresher, I'd just like to provide a little bit of background on Peace Library System and, and our services for your library. And your library director is here, so if there are questions that come <coughs> up related to your local services, I'll have to refer to Channing. Um, but I will, from the Peace Library System point of view, let you know what services we provide, and I'll review the funding structure for those services as well. So I did send some information ahead of time. I hope you had a chance to look at it. But uh, I also passed out today uh, a little bit of additional information that I think I'll start with because the easiest way to explain about a library system, and those of you who've been here before one of my presentations knows that I usually recommend looking at a map. So we passed out a map today. It is not something you had in your council package. And you can see that uh, Peace Library System is one of seven library systems in Alberta. The boundaries are established by the province based on municipal boundaries. And uh, within our boundaries, we serve 38 member municipalities and one Métis settlement. We have these members have decided to work together to offer additional library services. And it's a very, as you can see from the date when it's established, it's a 32 year old partnership. <coughs> It's been around for a while, very strong, very cohesive, and it has made a difference. Our system is governed by a board of directors made up of municipal appointees. and Elaine Manzer, which is an appointee, we're glad to have her on board uh, for her contributions. And uh, we're also considered municipal service, just like your public library board is a municipal service, we fall under municipal affairs and under the Libraries Act and that kind of thing, provincial legislation. So. I have been asked in the past why you need a library system when you have perfectly good libraries. You've got a great library in Peace River, Grimshaw does, Manning does, though they're in flux right now, but when they reopen it'll be great. But ours is the best, correct? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that I can say that in this council meeting, absolutely. <laughs> um, Membership in a library system just allows those libraries to do more than they could on their own. And maybe even more importantly, because libraries are spread out in our geographical area, it connects them together. It just uh, allows them not to feel alone, really. The chart I provided in your council package and then what I'm going to reference today is the blue brochure that I handed out. It's just a little something that might get handed out to a new person who came into your library who hadn't the foggiest notion of what was going on in the library. So if you would like, you can open to the, the left and it just shows how do I borrow things online. If I'm sitting at home and I want to borrow something, how do I do that? The steps are there to do it and it'll come to your local library, you pick it up and drop it off there. The right hand side says, okay, I'm, on, I'm, I'm tootling around the province, I'm on vacation, I want to read something, I want to listen to an audio book, how do I do that? 
well, there's a way to do that through me libraries at any public library in Alberta. And then the middle says, here's some electronic resources I can have access to through the library. I could learn a new language. I could read book, uh, newspapers online, magazines online. I could um, even get ebooks and e-audiobooks. So lots of things that the public library has to make patrons aware of. But I, I just brought one today to focus on, and that's our newest resource called lynda.com. And uh, I have been accused of bringing this because of the name, but it's not, it's not true. I brought it because it's the newest resource, and we think it has a lot of potential for our, the residents of all the communities that are members of Peace Library System. So this uh, resource, allows you to take courses at your own pace, free of charge. You do have to have a library card, but you don't pay any extra, anything extra beyond that. So you could learn about Word and Excel or take a course on photography. I've heard that there's great social media info here, how to set up Facebook accounts and some of those things. Uh, you could find business fundamentals. So though I know counselors have absolutely no time to take extra courses, I thought perhaps you might have somebody you could pass this on to. This is not a promotional brochure, it's how to do it, and see if they can find something of interest uh, for their personal or their, or their uh, work uh, environment. Well, if there's a course on Facebook etiquette, I have a number of people I could send. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is it here. <laughs> um, so basically there's four areas that Peace Library System helps your library and the other libraries to build their library collections with up-to-date materials. We help with library technology. We help them get more resources for people. And we help with training. And I'm gonna to touch on those later. There's a couple of other things we've been doing more the last couple of years. One is to help with marketing because libraries said it a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple now, we just can't get the word out enough about what we've got in our in, in our doors, in, in, in behind our doors. So we've been offering some marketing campaigns. Uh, the hot off the press campaign is Explore Your Library, where we're going to have a contest uh, for people going into the library to enter. But what we're trying to do is get people to think about the library when they're thinking about getting information or whatever, uh, to not forget about the library. We've also just partnered with Northern Lakes College to create an advocacy course course to help library people not be so fearful. They're, they're, they would be afraid to come, some of them, to their council and talk about their needs for funding or whatever. This course is designed to help people uh, come up with a message that makes sense at the time and to be able to uh, come to council or community groups or provincial people and, and take their message out. So what I'm going to turn to next is, is the funding, because what I find is that uh, people in uh, council are always interested in how the money works. So the second page of what I've sent out in your council package has a couple of charts that were our attempt to show you how things work with the money. So sources of revenue. Well, it's not surprising. The province and the municipalities are our biggest, our biggest funders. The uh, municipal levies are set right now at 637 per capita. That is um, set by the Peace Library System Board, but then must be approved by member municipalities. So it won't change unless municipalities agree. So with that in mind, the Town of Peace River uh, contributes about 43.5 to regional library services in 2018. 
it will contribute to all the services that I'll be referencing. Library boards contribute a further $2.75 per capita, mm -hmm. but when they contribute that, it goes into an ordering account at Peace Library System. So your local people can uh, take that funding, which is almost $19,000, and order things um, for the library. Now, a little bit gets diverted to e-resources because we found out a few years ago, if you buy an e-book, it doesn't really belong to anybody. It's everybody's in, in the region. So a little bit of every uh, library board's funding goes into ebooks because of the uh, of the need for that resource. Now the last we do get um, uh, some a, a provincial operating grant. You can see that it's uh, set on 2016 population, and that will bring in about 30, just under 32 thousand dollars on behalf of your population. But the last couple of years uh, we have received some additional provincial funding. Three years ago, uh, some funding came through to the library systems for services to Indigenous communities. This will be the third year of that funding. We've been working with libraries to add programs to make their uh, facilities more um, attractive to people, uh, make more patrons aware of uh, Indigenous culture, whatever they think they need to do in their communities. And this year, we'll, we will be working more with libraries to go out to those communities. So for example, we'll be working with the Peace River Library uh, to go out to take services out. It could be res uh, resources, it could be programs, um, it could be whatever that community needs. And so that's it's a bit more targeted this year for outreach as at the request of the Public Library Services Branch. Then in 2017, we received a one-time provincial grant for a facility upgrade. Uh, this is uh, a result of years of lobbying because library system buildings, headquarter buildings, don't have any other source of funding. And we didn't really want to quote to our municipalities and ask for more. So this provincial funding has, has been awesome. We have a new roof. I have the tar smell to prove it. It's happening right now. And a lot of uh, upgrades to the lighting and the HVAC system and that kind of thing. We're just about done. No AC during the 30 degree weather but we managed okay so other than that our revenue consists of a few uh, small things uh, <coughs> school contracts we do contract with some schools and some school divisions and, and order their materials for them but those are that's the bulk of it uh, about 40% this year will be from uh, municipal contributions and about 47% will be from provincial contributions so what happens to the money well, the, the biggest thing we do, and all library systems do for their um, members, is to build collections. So our biggest expense relates to that uh, in terms of purchasing the materials for the libraries, receiving, cataloging it, and about half of our staff take care of those role, take care of those activities. It just makes sense to do that rather than having every library independently ordering the same thing over and over and over again. We can do it for them and, and it, it's quite a bit more efficient. IT services, um, with the exception of Grand Prairie, I don't think anybody has a dedicated IT person in, in one of our libraries. And so it's a really important role that we play. Uh, the libraries are automated on the same software, so we provide that support. And that's what connects them actually across the, the uh, province but we also provide support for their computers their wireless access points their supernet equipment we provide internet services and website support so those are just really important um, 
uh, activities that libraries do that need to be need to be operational. I may just have to call Grand Prairie if they need help. Training, uh, we have professional people, professional library trained people who will go out, who go out and visit the libraries and are available by email and phone. And so it is in especially those personal connections that are important that tell the libraries we are not alone because somebody cares enough to come out and see us and talk about what we need and help us and help us with it. Resource sharing seems kind of seems kind of silly at four percent, but because that's why libraries exist is to share. But in fact, um, the libraries do share. There's just not a high cost of peace library system for this activity. In 2017, mem member libraries loaned about 188,000 items out to other libraries. Now that's that's above and beyond what they loan to their local people. And the libraries borrowed just about 206,000 items from other libraries. So that means in your community, um, if somebody needs something, they can get it from somewhere. And in fact, your library uh, is able to share with others as well. So libraries don't need to have it all. And that entire interlibrary loan system has tens of thousands of items going at any given time during the day between libraries. There's something for everyone. And because you're a member of Peace Library System, when you go out with your card, which looks a little different than this because I think the Peace, Peace River people wanted their logo on their card, which is awesome. Um, it's, it's, you can take it to any public library and you can take the other card, the Alberta Library card, to any college or university library and borrow as well. So lots of options for getting what you need. There's a few more uh, things that we, uh, we, we do have a building to take care of, so there's some operational costs. Our facility upgrade will have some costs this year, and of course the Indigenous Services funding, we, we want to get out to libraries to do the work they need to do with the Indigenous communities near them. I guess what I'm trying to show here is that when you send your funds in every year, they are, uh, they, your, benef your uh, residents and your library are getting good value in return for the funds you send in. And we design the services for our region. We don't pull them out of the air. We've asked them, what do you need? Our libraries, our library boards, and they've told us, and that's what we, that's what we put forth for them. And my last uh, message tonight is just to thank you for your support for libraries and for library systems. Um, the town of Peace River joined Peace Library System in 1986 as one of the founding members. And so you've been in, in this partnership for a very long time, and I think it's, it, true that we can do more if we work together in the library world. Thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. I'm just coming with an update. I'm happy though to answer any questions you might have if something occurred to you while I was uh, chatting. Any questions? Ms. Downing, you must have a question you're a library person. <laughs> Thank you, Your Worship. Uh, I'm sorry that I'm not there to, to meet you in person, although we have met before. Uh, all I can say is thanks for the presentation. Um, I didn't know a lot of the things that the Peace Library System provides, um, certainly to support our local municipal library with our recent changes in leadership. Uh, but. Um, Thanks for the update. It's great to hear the information and be reminded of all the services that are provided. Just a quick one, if I may, Your Worship. So uh, thanks as well, uh, Linda. It's uh, 
you, uh, I think you and I have been chatted on numerous times. I'm, I'm a big library person, so I'm a, I'm a track user. So maybe what I should do publicly is lobby you right now. I've, uh, I'm on order for Bob Woodward's new book, Fear. And I, I, I'm number eight in the queue, and I'm, I'm dying to read it. So, so I, wonder if the, I wonder if you could push me up the list a little bit. You know. Do you have that book in your uh, and, and of course, I, just for the audience, I am kidding, of course. So, so that, that's, that's my lousy attempt at humor. Just a, a quick library question. So, so are you saying you've already read Omar, Omar Rosa's book? Yeah, I, no, I haven't. <laughs> but Bob Woodward's, if, if, if he got Watergate right, he, he's, he's going to get Trump right, I'm sure. Uh, just on your organization, uh, just a quick one. But I. Uh, the board chair position. I, I thought that was an elected person that sat as the chair, and I just see a name on here. Is that mm -hmm. usual? Or? The uh, a municipality can appoint whomever they like to the Peace Library Board. It does not actually have to be a councillor. In a couple of cases, it's a library board chair from that community or an interested person. So that, uh, uh, that it, it can be whomever council decides. Very good. Uh, Ms. Manzer, is there anything you want to underscore here? Uh, no, just it's a great system, and I think um, our Peace River Library gets great value for its membership in the uh, regional library system. So thanks, Linda, and Channing, I understand you're there as well. So welcome, and good luck with the whole process. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Linda. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Have a good evening. I will now ask the, the Concierge Scolaire du Nord West or CSNO. It's also <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hello. My name is Sylviane Mezenov. I am board chair for the Conseil Scolaire du Nord West numéro uh, Northwest Francophone School Board or CSNO. I'm uh, Dolores Molette. I'm acting deputy superintendent in uh, absence during uh, Brigitte Kropelnicki's absence from uh, the Northwest Francophone Education Region. So thanks for having us tonight. Um, I'm just wondering if all of you have received our um, presentation in your council package. Awesome, so you can follow along as we go. Um, so we're here today to um, explore possibilities and, and see uh, what, what we can do together, if, if anything. So we'd like to explore an inf infrastructure project collaboration. And the main points of our presentations will be to talk about Francophone education, uh, specifically our school here in Peace River, Ecole des Quatre-Vingt, and uh, a potential collaboration together. So who we are is um, the Northwest Francophone Education Region Number One, Conseil Scolaire du Nord-Ouest Numéro and we offer students a high-quality French language education. The CSNO was created in 1994 and governs three schools: École uh, Vitage, which is a pre-K to grade 12 school in Folair, and it was opened in 1988; École Nouvelle Frontière, which is a PK to 12 in Grand Prairie, and it was opened in 1998. And Ecole de Quatre-Vingt here in Peace River, 
which is also now a preschool to grade 12, uh, and it was open in, in 1999. Uh, so we govern these three schools, and um, uh, just a, a little overview, uh, Francophone education in Alberta is relatively young. It's, it started 30 years ago, and over that period of time, uh, school four school boards across Alberta have, have opened 41 schools and uh, catered to 8,000 students. Um, specifically in Peace River, at Ecole des Quatre-Vingts, we have an enrollment of 100 students and have been growing steadily um, uh, over the years. Um, a few facts about Ecole des Quatre-Vingts. We integrated a pre-kindergarten class uh, since 2011. And uh, the school, which originally was a, a kindergarten to grade six, was designated kindergarten or pre-kindergarten to grade 12 since 2013. Uh, and our catchment area is quite large and students come in to Peace River uh, at the Frankfurt School uh, from all over the Peace Country. Uh, so our main objective for growth has been uh, to increase visibility and awareness in order to address the challenges of recruit recruitment and enrollment. It's, it's a challenge, it's not always easy, but we've seen uh, in the past uh, few years that the impact of, our, of these strategies has been strongly felt and we have, have had an important overall increase of enrollment since 2013, as shown in the graph that, that's in the presentation. Ecole des Quatre-Vingts enrollment has increased by eight to 10% yearly for the past five years. And in this last year, uh, our student growth was 16%, which is significant. Um, as an aside or, or um, additional information, uh, the government of Alberta uh, has developed uh, two years ago a French language policy um, to enhance services in French and support the vitality of Francophone communities all over Alberta. Um, French is the most widely spoken language in Alberta after English and is used, its use is projected to continue to grow in the years to come. This will result in more requests for services in French and English. The Francophone communities in Alberta are very excited about their stand and uh, and they have, in the last year, um, uh, raised the Frank Albertan flag to this symbol of distinction under the emblems of Alberta Act. And we're, we're very excited uh, to, to have had your support um, in the following years at the raising of the flag event uh, on the uh, Jours uh, de la Francophonie. You have been present there, and we appreciate that. Thank you so much. So a little bit about the school, uh, in particular, the building. Uh, the school was built in 1976, and it was formerly known as McGrath School, a K-6 school. Uh, and our school board purchased it from Peace River School Division in 2008. It has never been modernized. Like every other school in Peace River or in surrounding areas, it hasn't been modernized since it was built. It has been our capital plan priority since 2009. Um, and since we're not lobbying you for that infrastructure, I'll save you the frustrate, our frustrations. Uh, but um, there are a lot of needs in this school, and especially since we've designated the school as a kindergarten to grade 12. Uh, first of all, there's accessibility issues that need to be addressed. It, it's, it, there are a lot of areas in the school that are not accessible. Um, there's a lack of space for middle and high school programming. 
some very basic things that, that restrain our ability to offer basic programming, like a science lab, for example. Um, um, Career and technology studies. Career and technology studies, um, uh, shop. Uh, so basic programming that we can't offer because we don't have the facility uh, for that. Um, also, the energy efficiency needs to be improved and, and that's a big one uh, in today's society. Um, so the, 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 base, the facility's basic structure remains unchanged and the condition is, condition is deteriorating and the quality of program is not equivalent to what's offered in surrounding school. And as I said, it will save you our frustration. Just to give you a bit of an overview on the situation, it has been our top priority and we've invested some real effort. Uh, although Italy 80 meets all the requirements necessary for modernization, we have not yet been approved for, uh, a mod for that said modernization. And we've invested some real efforts uh, since the announcement of the budget this spring uh, to turn that around because um, it's a real issue for us and, and a growing concern. Um, we're asking for immediate action and uh, we're hoping that'll happen. It's not, it's not a question of if it will happen, it's a question of when. And in that spirit, um, we wanna be ready because when that project is approved and when it happens, we want to have our, our uh, cards and our ducks in a row, and that's why we're here. We want to explore possibilities, discuss, open a dialogue, and discuss what we can do because when that time comes, we, we want to have be ready for it. So, um, as you know, um, the government of Alberta is uh, highly encourages collaboration with municipalities as they change their municipal act. Um, also, partnerships with uh, municipalities um, can uh, facilitate access to provincial or federal matching grants. Um, we want to create a win-win situation, something that can help us and help the town of Peace River um, positively. Um, and it can have positive outcomes too. For example, positive economic, social, and cultural impacts for community and partners. We can attract more bilingual families to the community. Uh, we all know that schools are the hub of towns, especially small towns, and uh, they attract families. So we've uh, put our heads together at our board level and tried to come up with ideas. And it's our understanding that uh, we tried to find projects that we feel would be beneficial for the school and the community of Peace River. And it's our understanding that potentially uh, some ideas could be an auditorium or theater tacked onto the school uh, or interior racket or sports court. Of course, we're open to possibilities. As I said, we, we're wanting to, to have a dialogue. We're, we're wanting to discuss the options or possibilities with you. Uh, we're looking at uh, establishing partnerships, um, various partnerships, with the, with the town of Peace River, of course, but surrounding municipalities as well, and community groups, um, federal government, provincial governments, any kind of uh, grants we can have. Uh, like I said, um, we want to capta capitalize on this occasion, on, on this future modernization, in order to build something that would attract uh, people and offer um, um, a service to the community. Um, so I guess why, our partnership with, with your town, why we're here, is we want to know, um, could the town collaborate with the CSNO? 
as well as other partners? Uh, and if so, uh, in what form? In what shape and form? Like, what what are your ideas? What are you thinking? What are the needs of your community? You're, you, you're better placed to know what those are. Um, and um, we're wondering also what the next steps could be, like how you'll communicate with us or if maybe our administrations could be put in contact. Um, so yeah. Um, well, let the ideas flow. <laughs> Just in regards to your one slide there, when you mentioned interior racket courts and sports courts, with the new facility that uh, the town of Peace River and the surrounding municipalities are building, which is like a hop, skip, and a jump mm -hmm. or cross away, would that be something that uh, you guys would be willing to utilize? Yes, you know we've had we had the uh, pleasure of, of um, sharing ideas with uh, Councillor Needham, who came to one of our meet meetings in it was January, February. I'm not, I don't quite remember, but uh, we had that discussion as well. And yes, we're very excited about that facility that's going up just next to our school. And I mean, for sure, we'll we'll explore potential uh, partnerships. Um, we're trying to see what like an addition, something different, something we can add to that like we don't want to recreate the same project that's for sure um and i don't think that's what you would want either i think we're, we're looking at doing something different uh, yeah i think you know we're going to have to uh um, kick this to administration to help us out <laughs> uh so perhaps uh uh, perhaps a brainstorming session with the administrative branches. We can get some counselors in the room too. So they'll act as a filter and see what we're able to bring back here for um, actual decision type items. That sounds good. Do you have any idea like what kind of timeline we're you're looking at or? Well, you have a free day tomorrow, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask Councillor Director Bell what her schedule was. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll be in touch. Yeah. Shortly. Sounds great. Well, on behalf of all the trustees, I would like to thank you for allowing us to come and present. And I hope, uh, look forward to hearing from you and hope we can collaborate in the future. Great. Right. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I will ask these. Mr. Don Lee of the Ski Club to come forward, make a presentation, then update us on how much money the Ski Club's gonna make this year. Piles and piles. <laughs> the money, not snow. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe both. Maybe both. Thank you very much, um, Your Worship, and uh, good evening to all the counselors and everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to uh, stop by, kind of update all of you on the uh, success of our past season. So I presume that you have the uh, financial report that I submitted earlier. Does everybody have that? Okay. So I kind of go through the financial highlights, can go through in as much or little detail as you want. Normally I find that once numbers are mentioned, people's minds start to drift off pretty quickly. Um, some of the operational um, 
things that I should touch on will come out of that, and uh, then I have a few that won't necessarily come out of that that I also want to want to touch on. But uh, to start with, just thank you very much to the Town of Peace River, the Council, and all the, the administration of the town. It's a tremendous support, and uh, we are always thrilled with the cooperation that we have with the town. We really see our relationship kind of as a partnership, and not only running a ski hill, but really trying to build Misery Mountain into an all-season, multi-sport, outdoor recreational resource for the, the use of the entire region. And um, the kind of the big step out that we want to embark upon this year, as you probably remember, is to um, uh, get a mountain biking master plan done. We're expecting the J-Hoots will probably be able to come here in September and get to work on that. We're hoping that we'll have a report and a plan before the end of the calendar year and start working towards um, creating, seeing what, what we can actually get done next summer in terms of building mountain biking trails and all that kind of stuff. So that's where we're at with that one. Okay, financial highlights. It was a good year. Our Total revenue is up by about $50,000 over the previous year. If you look at the straight numbers, it looks like more than that. One of the things that we started doing in the last fiscal year is we included donations in kind into our financial um, statements. We've kind of been debating this and discussing it for several years at, the, uh, at our board in terms of how should we kind of include donations in kind. They, previously, they just sort of never showed up anywhere. Um, so uh, we started doing that in the, to the fiscal year ending the end of May 2018. That amounted to almost $100,000. So when you look at our, our revenue, it's approximately $100,000 less in cash than what appears on there because Hundred thousand, roughly, is donations in kind. Um, of the fifty thousand dollar increase in our real cash revenue, basically all of that came from an increase in operating income. Our fundraising income was basically the same from the the previous year. We achieved a cash surplus, or technically a profit. I put that in brackets there because we're as a nonprofit organization, we don't really make a profit, but. Um, about forty-two thousand uh, dollars in terms of a cash surplus, and we had a similar cash surplus the previous year. All of that money essentially went to pay down debt. Um, so everybody at the board level says, "Oh, where's that money now?" Well, we don't have it, and paid down debt over the course of the year. So we've been making good progress at paying down our debts in the last two years. Our total membership or uh, lift. Ticket sales were up over 50%, which is awesome. It's on the back of a 50% increase in the previous year from the year before that. So that's really a, a key metric for us. Tells us that more people are coming to ski. Our skier numbers are, are increasing and, and that's what we wanna do. So uh, things are moving in, in a fantastic direction as far as that goes. We were able to pay almost all of our bills on time this last year, which was, a incredibly uh, better than the previous year where we were struggling and had lots of, uh, of our uh, business people in town who weren't being paid on time and 
and that made all of us feel very uncomfortable with that. So uh, that showed up in much lower accounts payable. So the previous year we had account ended the year with accounts payable of over fifty thousand dollars, and this last current year it was uh, about sixteen thousand dollars in accounts payable at the end of the year. Overall, it was this a very successful year. We have the weather to thank for a much better snowfall. It was, according to my uh, data, I sat down two years ago and put together almost a half a century's worth of snowfall data from the Environment Canada website. And last year was very, very close to an average year. We, on average, get about a meter of snowfall in the months of November through March, which is our ski season and we were almost exactly a meter last year. Fortunately, a good portion of that came in November, and so it kind of set us up for to get going on, on the ski season. Weather-wise, the downside of the year was we had a lot of very cold weather. We had nine days that were scheduled to be operational days where we had to shut down because of cold weather, and so that naturally uh, hurts our revenue somewhat also to be shut down that many days. Um, we had, uh, with the changes in employment laws, raise, rise in minimum wages again, and the vast majority of our employees are students that work, you know, weekends and evenings and holidays uh, for minimum wage, really impacts our organization. Also, the changes in the labor standards, uh, particularly with regard to holiday pay and what happens, it's really created a nightmare for our, our hill manager to try to schedule people to work and try to avoid paying triple time and all that kind of stuff. So we had a net increase in about $20,000 in salaries and wages. And that was, even though we had a significant reduction in um, uh, we, we had about halfway through the ski season, some of you probably know and remember, uh, Kenny, who's been with us for many years, uh, went from full-time uh, to sort of on, on an as-needed basis, and that reduced uh, our wages for him by a, a lot, And um, but our wages for other people were in, increased by a lot. We had two extra fundraising projects last year, the run naming sponsorship project that we did and also the Hill Cross. And in total that added approximately an extra $40,000 to our net revenues in, in that year, so that was great. Would you like any more detail of numbers? I have the section on more detail if you want more. Or I'll stop if you've had enough. Hi. I'm not going to drag this down, but I, I seeing that uh, I got embarrassed into buying two ski hill tickets at the Canadian Tire the other day. That I'm entitled. Okay, double that. your chances. So I'm, I'm entitled to two questions. Don't sure. I? Yeah. So one of them was around uh, the ski hill. So I just heard forty thousand dollars. I'm looking at fifty-two hundred dollars on this. What? I. What? What is the number? Am I looking at the wrong one? Um, number for what? That's what I'm asking you. What what's the fundraising on the hill climb? The number in here is fifty-two fifty-four. Am I missing something? That would have been the, the, the gross number then. Okay. Let me just. But, but that, that's fine. I, I guess the question was what 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 did the ski hill do to earn either fifty-two hundred dollars or forty thousand? What what added? What service did did you do? Because it was a different group that actually put the event on, right? Yeah. So we, you sold. We hosted it, and so 
the, there was a lot of, uh, the income that came into us was partly from sponsorships, uh, various businesses. So, paid. so the hill climb group channeled their funds through Misery Mountain. Is that, there wasn't a separate identity? Is that, well, just trying to understand how, how that, that worked. We hosted the event. The kind of the operation of it itself, in terms of starting, ending races, setting the course, all that kind of stuff, that was done by the Hill Climb Association. A handful of people who kind of run that, and they came in with all of their timing lights and their gates and that, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we had, uh, so a lot of revenue came to us in terms of uh, sponsorship, the, you know, snow sports companies and stuff, snowmobile companies that paid a sponsorship fee to kind of have their name out and that kind of stuff. Um, we sold uh, quite a lot of food and booze. We had a portion of the entry fees came to us. So all of the contestants uh, paid an entry fee. That, that was my question. What, yeah. what did you do to We, we also, of course, we, we charged a, an, an entrance fee to spectators who kind of wanted to come and watch. So I don't remember now the breakdown of how much money came from each of those different categories, but those were the categories that money came to us. And working ahead to this winter, are you going to try to do it again? We're definitely going to do it again. We want to make it an annual event. We're going to do it a little bit earlier this year. Typically, uh, ski hills do this at the end of the season because it tears up the hill. And we expected that we would not be able to ski that, that run after. We were very happy that we were able to ski that run afterwards, that it didn't totally destroy uh, the hill, the, the snow on that run. And we skied for another two weekends, I think, uh, after that. So we're gonna do it a little bit earlier. It will likely be the first race, I think, of the season, this coming season. And the the hill cross people are figuring that we will probably have about double the number of competitors <coughs> next year. Ours this year was on the same weekend as a big event in the United States. And so we didn't draw nearly as many people from south of the border. And they're expecting that next year, um, word got out uh, that it was a good event. The people that came really, really thought it was, uh, was great. It was well organized. They, like the facility, the hill. So yeah, we're expecting it to be so, double the size next so year. So on the number question, so you think it's $40,000? Well, the $40,000 is a combination of, of, of the, the hill climb, the net income from the hill climb, and also from our uh, run naming sponsorship. So about $15,000 came from the run naming sponsorship program and about 25 net came from the hill cross. Okay. I, I'm, I'm good on the number. Okay. Yeah. Other questions? Thank you, Mr. Lee. Okay, well, I do have a, a few more operational things I'd just like to touch on that didn't kind of flow out of it. I know you want to get going. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to be quick. I, I don't envy you sitting through all these things. Um, one of the, we did in, encounter a big problem last year. We do all of our, our snowmaking before the season starts, typically November, December. Um, and then we don't do any snowmaking after that. 
And during that very cold spell that we had over Christmas, the pump house froze. The, um, our hill manager checked it, I think, on Christmas Day and everything was fine. Came back and checked it on Boxing Day and everything was frozen. Somehow the heater went off in the pump house and everything froze. So the, our snowmaking pumps and the associated piping needs to be completely replaced. And thank, thank you, Mr. Me. It's insurance. It's okay. So the, the, the good the good news is uh, that equipment, as as you may recall, all of the fixed assets at the hill are owned by the town and therefore are covered under the town's insurance. So it it is covered under your insurance. Uh, so I'm not asking for more money for that. So you're offering us the deductible. <laughs> I presume that comes, I, I don't know, whatever. What's the deductible? It's in my budget. Just okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, we are getting uh, a little bit nervous that that's not going to be done in time, but um, um, Tanya has assured us that it's going to happen in time. Um, but that's, yeah, so, th so that was a big, oops. So we are uh, going to be installing a second furnace, so we have a backup furnace in there. Um, it's sitting in our chalet and we'll get that in this fall. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to make the Hillcross an annual event. Uh, you may or may not have heard from Tanya that, that we did work with the town uh, this spring and, and early summer to identify uh, trails on the on the ski hill side of, the, of Misery Mountain that we would endeavor to maintain during the summer for hiking as hiking trails and mountain biking trails and so those who are going into the um, kind of the hill the map of the trails hiking trails that uh, Tanya is, is working on we also uh, widened two short sort of runs near the bottom of the hill to provide better access into that area in between. The T-bar the and the chairlift kind of come down into a V and that area at the kind of in the bottom of that V has always been um, almost, almost unskiable and one of my little projects in the last few years is to try to make that better. So we've improved the access into it. I'm trying to um, get some volunteer heavy equipment in there to to improve the grading of that so that becomes a much more usable area and I'm hoping it's again to get that done before freeze up this fall um, and once again particularly since uh, Colin had been concerned of an earlier issue about the input of the other municipalities in our area once again in the last year the County of Northern Sunrise and the County of Northern Lights both contributed uh, some money to our operation of Ski Hill. You'll be delighted to know. I thought the MDFP did as well. And the, oh, I'm sorry, the MDFP as well. Thank you very much. All right. So, if there's no other questions, that's all good. Or what kind of heating system is in that uh, pump house? Uh, it, it was a gas-fired furnace, and we don't know why that kicked out. Um, so, we do have another second-hand gas-fired furnace that's going to be a backup system natural gas natural gas yeah yeah 
we're kind of guessing maybe somehow the door opening and closing pilot light got blown out and or but we don't know it was fine one day and it was frozen the next that's impossible to figure out really what what went wrong Great, thanks. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, have a good evening. Thanks, Donna. see there's no bylaws on the agenda, Mr. Town. There are not, Your Worship. Any unfinished business? There is not. That'll take us to new business. And the first item on the, order of paper is briefing note regarding the proposed 2019 operating budget process and guideline. I'm assuming that you're handling this. I will. So this was the, the result of a question that came up at the last meeting. Councillors had asked what the expected timeline was going to be for the upcoming 2019 operating and capital budget. Um, so just to reiterate that it's staff's intention to do a similar type process with the budget document um, presentation of the document and then um, public deliberations we'll be in touch with council beforehand to ensure that we capture um, their items strategic incorporate strategic type plan items and have a discussion on the upcoming capital program in terms of the schedule which the councillors had asked about um, these had typically taken about four or five meetings in the past, so we're hoping to do something similar. Um, again, the first meeting would be budget distribution, where the um, budget document would be handed out, and we'd all go away and, and absorb that. Um, and then the budget would be broken into decision packages. And council would try to tackle or tackle maybe one decision package per meeting and these meetings could be separate meetings or they could be held during our regular council meetings uh, again should be fairly familiar with the process since we did this as a group last year so based on that in the timeline if we distribute the budget on our Tuesday November 13th um, meeting and then add one special meeting in there which is uh, proposed to be November 19th. I expect we could have all the del deliberations done by early, well, let's say mid-December. Um, if that happens, if Council has deliberated and, and approved all the decision packages, Council or staff will have enough information to go and redo the budget document and bring it back to a Council meeting by most likely mid-January and seek council approval for the budget at that point. So that's our proposed timeline again. Um, we'll just get this out there if council's okay with it. We'll share with the public, um, gather mechanisms for their input and let them know that this is coming. Um, and if there's any questions, um, I'm more than happy to answer them. Questions. Motion to accept for information. Mr. Good, all in favor? <laughs> in favor. In favor. Uh, second item under new business is a RFD for 
Alberta Community Crime, Crime Prevention Association invite to your annual general meeting. Who's leading this? Are you just leading this, Mr. Ford, or what? Nope, I'll, I'll discuss this one also, Your Worship. Um, and I may ask Ms. McQuaid to remind me that, no, uh, Ms. Fallon, how do you pronounce this again? Um, so on September 13th, the ACCPA, the Alberta Community Crime Prevention Association, is holding their annual general meeting, which is just outside of Calgary. Sedina, Calgary, Alberta. Um, so again, the, the Crime Prevention Association um, was established back in 89 as the Alberta Community Police Advisory Committee. Um, and they have a whole bunch of goals that are in conjunction with what we're trying to do at the town, um, such as acting as an information hub, coordinating for annual crime prevention uh, conference, um, promoting crime prevention week and fraud prevention month. So what we're looking for is if council's interested in enabling a member of council to attend the ACCPA annual general meeting being held um, on September 13th of this year. Just, just to, uh, to add to your comments there, the ACCPA uh, conference that was held in uh, Edmonton, we did buy a, a membership to that, that conference was uh, very well attended and the information that come over that is, is how we rolled this, uh, this SEPTED program out. So the AGM, I'm not, myself, I'm not 100% sure what's gonna happen happen down there. I would uh, I would like to attend on behalf of council. From what I hear, their AGMs um, are not very well attended. So I don't know if this is an opportunity that we can get maybe my, myself on that board and have some representation from Northern Alberta. So what's the uh, recommendation on that? So the recommendations that council <coughs> enable a member of council to attend the ACCPA annual general meeting being held in Satina, Alberta on September 13th, 2018. I'd be pleased to make that motion. Okay. In favor. In favor. Um, the uh, third item is a briefing note on the Peace Regional Recreation Center, Re Regional Rec, Rec Center construction update. The Rec flags update. <coughs> Is it on schedule and on budget? That's all I need to know. Councillor Needham, this is your opportunity. <laughs> if, I, if I say that one more time. <laughs> it's still true, so we're, we're okay to say it. There's always issues, but there is progress. Yeah. Um, it, the, in terms of significant uh, visual changes, Probably the biggest two that you can see from the photographs is all the structural steel is up. And we have a second floor, which we were then able to, Brian took some photos from the second floor into the structure, which really made a difference, gives a new perspective of the building. Uh, there's a concrete slab 
in the field house. Uh, the day he took the photos, you can see the concrete truck um, starting to pump uh, concrete into the second floor bleachers on the first step of the bleachers, and those will be poured um, step at a time, I guess. I'm sure that's not proper construction language, All but one step, one step <laughs> at a time. This is literally one step at a time. Um, so there's some real visual progress. I also walked through the storage um, add-on structure that we put on the side of the building and just being able to physically walk through it now because there is concrete on the floor, all the walls and the roof are up. You physically, or I couldn't believe how large that storage space is. Our user groups, I think, will be very pleased uh, with the fact that they will have indoor, warm, and some substantial physical space that they can utilize for their operational purposes. So um, it, it's great because now we're moving into a phase where you can physically start feeling the building and how it potentially can work. Um, those were kind of the main touch points that we wanted to point out. Uh, Jim, did you have anything else? Well, I think uh, it's progressing fairly well, and uh, I think I'm kind of excited to see the ice plant, uh, which is going to be delivered in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And that'll be uh, exciting to see that get in, in place and uh, kind of start moving it into the next phase, and especially with uh, the remaining concrete pours, we're going to get into this phase where uh, we're moving from kind of the exterior shell to actually starting to work on the inside and the mist. Mm -hmm. The other additional activities that have been going on, um, there's been some con conversations with two other potential sponsors. Um, a grant application has been submitted through the provincial government for federal funds. Thank you, Ms. McQuaig. Um, and she's been in constant contact and conversations about those uh, opportunities of where we can secure additional funding for the project to offset uh, the town's contribution. Um, we are planning a site tour, another site tour for municipal partners in September. Um, we are putting them, aligning them with our construction meetings because then we have our contractor on site, uh, Jim Lee with Marshall Lee, and our architect. Um, so we are looking at tentatively the next tour being September 20th. So if anyone would like to attend that, um, we will send out a calendar invite to all of our other municipal partners and yourselves. If anyone would like to come on that particular tour, you will see the building and get the feel of how the structure will work now that we're able to physically walk up the stairs and walk through the structure on concrete slabs. So uh, lots of changes to the building. Um, and then one other little tidbit, which I missed in the um, in the briefing note, but really probably in the next briefing note would come out, is we're still exploring this coin in the ice slab uh, idea, um, but we're not looking for the slabs not going to be important for another month and a half, probably onwards of two months before that gets all whatever they do to make it all ice slabish. <laughs> It's quite a process, so that in itself is going to take some time. We definitely have some uh, thoughts around that, mm -hmm. where we can get to all of our participating partners also can contribute a coin from each of the participating partners and integrate that into like a plexi uh, plexiglass disc that we would set into the ice surface. Yeah. 
Well, for every dollar they put down, they need to put up a million dollars in real hard cash. <laughs> Just uh, to build on uh, Jim and Tanya, sorry, I, it's, uh, I guess on the on the on time part, not so much the on budget, so on the time part, if you go by the building, you'll see the north end is exposed and the south end, and you can see it in the picture. So uh, obviously leaves are turning color and cold weather is coming and that building needs to be enclosed because there's winter construction. So I think uh, in my informal discussions and then even at the committee level, uh, uh, the contractor certainly knows that. He, he knows that uh, he needs to get that shrouded in. And so that's sort of one of the immediate, uh, along with the concrete work that you see going on. So I think uh, one of the immediate priorities is to, is to get the building ready for winter. And that will, of course, will enable some temporary heat. ADCO, I think is, just about got a line in there in the process. And then just, again, just a quick one on the visual. As you, if you were going to go by the Vatex, uh, you'll see the large dirt pile on the west side. So again, I think the contractor talked about, I think initially actually doing some asphalt work and curb and gutter. And I last discussion I heard was, wow, well, maybe that was a little um, over optimistic. So at least we'll do some landscaping work this fall and perhaps put curb in, concrete curb, and maybe some gravel, I think, yeah. was the last gravel. word. So I, I, I think that's somewhat up in the air. But uh, again, uh, it's nice to see some progress, and uh, the discussions have been, uh, yeah, I, I see them as problem solving. I, they, they seem to be uh, working uh, working well. So Ms. Bell, is there a donation program? Is that still going? Yes, and right now we're still having uh, direct conversations with individuals. Um, so we'll be launching more aggressively after this long weekend. Um, we're awaiting an announcement by one of our local groups in relationship to um, some conversations we've been having with them. So we're waiting for them to proceed with that before we start publicly advocating for other sponsorships around naming of the rest of the facility. But we are actively looking for donors. Um, the two that we're speaking to now are looking more at the donor wall. So smaller numbers, but still fifteen, dollars $20,000, $10,000 range conversations. So some good stuff is continuing to happen and we'll what about the average Joe and Josephina? Yeah, and that'll be all part of the donor wall um, sponsorship component is what that is. Yeah. What do they what would what would the average layperson get for their donation? So we have a uh, in our sponsorship package or a brochure that we've completed, Autumn has all of that that she'll put up on our town website. There'll be a number of components to depending on your uh, level of donation, your name, or whatever you would like to place, uh, whether it's your name, family name, memorial, whatever the situation is, will go on the town website specifically in a, a web page spot for donations. Um, you'll be recognized on the donor wall, again, depending on your level of your donation. And then for some at a higher level, you'll also have sort of a sneak peek of the, of the building um, through a, an opening ceremony that we'll be having. So you'll get a, a, a preemptive look on the inside before the general public for some of the higher level donors. So that wall would be similar to what's in the swimming pool? Correct, same idea, yeah. 
So the pictures that you spoke of, have they gone up on the website, Facebook? Not yet. Uh, Miss Hume is uh, out of the office until Thursday, so upon her return, she'll be posting this information on our site. Um, the municipal partners received a copy of this document about an hour ago, so they have a copy for their respective councils to share. Yeah, we should get those pictures up and give the public yes. something else to talk yeah. about besides potholes. Agreed, because they they really add a new perspective once we've got <coughs> elevated photos of the inside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just on the uh, the brick or the donor wall, whatever in that. Yeah. That will be for this tax. We're not. Yes. Th th this tax season. Yeah. Okay. That I'm having autumn. Autumn needs to create the page on our website, so we just need her to get that um, up along with the on the multiplex site and off we go right so you you issue a tax receipt for that Correct. and uh i believe on your tax form you can get 75 percent of it back basically i believe you can yes so there is or, a benefit no i think that's not quite right i think that's for a political tax contribution <laughs> I, think the, the, I think if you it could be seen as both i'll <laughs> let the accountant sort that out <laughs> But you, you know, your, your worship, you make a good point. I mean, if we're putting this on there, it's a good marketing point. Uh, we should clarify with mine or Penny or CRA. Uh, if I remember right, if you're on your personal donations, be it church or not-for-profit, once you're over the $250 limit to heart and stroke or cancer, once you're over that, your donation goes to a 50% level. So it's it's a significant it's a it's a significant saving so if you were thinking of a thousand dollars um perhaps you might consider two because it's yeah. it is that kind of anyway my point is that uh, maybe we want to mention that on the donor i don't want rotary house did it um, they had the, the brick idea and uh, you could buy one brick two bricks but the, the yeah. tax implication was um, was worth was worth considering yeah absolutely i'll, I'll we'll get that clarified and add it to it Absolutely. We do mention that you receive a tax receipt, but we don't get into the, 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 the value. Of what it yeah, is. correct. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, maybe a motion to accept your information. Mr. Good, all in favor? In favor. We have a. In we, favor. We have an RFD for on the water wastewater operation and staffing levels. <coughs> Worship and Council. Uh, one of the things we wanted to bring forward to Council was uh, with the recent additions and uh, expansions of the scope work for the water wastewater operations, wanted to take. Uh, the opportunity to kind of review in whole uh, the staffing level for that department and look at it not just in terms of what we've added to the, their existing duties but looking at that holistically and looking what it takes to actually do those duties as a whole so that's what we've kind of uh, are presenting here so currently uh, we have six FTE positions and that's fluctuated you know over the last 10 years uh, from 5.0 FTE positions to 5.75 uh, when I arrived here in 2016. Uh, so right now the six FTE positions that we have is a manager and assistant manager being uh, Dana Langer, 
and Randy Dupuy. And then we have four water wastewater operators. Uh, and basically those uh, uh, positions go to oversee uh, our water treatment plant, our wastewater treatment plant. All our left stations are water booster stations of reservoirs uh, and items that we've added this year are basically the water treatment plant at the airport and also the lagoons at the airport. And uh, this also, uh, along with Public Works, uh, water wastewater goes to help maintain the uh, leachate ponds and drying beds at, out at Weatherville as well. So as I said, uh, in 2017, the FTA allotment was increased to six FTE positions. And, and conjunction of when we kind of uh, moved to that portion there, uh, we were adding some duties onto that department, uh, and that was basically the water meter uh, duties that was formerly done by Public Works. And for the water meter duties, basically that included reading of the uh, AMR meters and also the manual meters, uh, because we still do have some manual meters that need to be read each month. Uh, water meter installations and removals, water meter maintenance, data log collection, whenever there's a dispute in billing, we have to go out and send somebody out to the location and run a data log on the meter. And then also uh, in conjunction with Public Works, uh, working on water bleeders and aquaflow devices. In uh, 2018, we added in the airport water treatment plant and the airport sewage lagoons. Uh, since uh, they were on our approvals list, uh, we wanted to make sure that we had qualified staff working on those two areas. Who, um, who was managing those before? That was uh, the airport uh, staff. So with all those additional items, basically, like I said, I wanted to not just look at this in terms of the added hours that we've added to the water wastewater staff, but I also wanted to look at it holistically and look at the overall uh, department and where their hours uh, were being utilized. So that's what you see forth in that chart there, uh, where I've got uh, person hours per month and uh, what it takes uh, person hours to operate each of our facilities. So. Uh, we're going through there, the water treatment plant, water reservoirs, water booster stations, etc. as it's laid out there. And also you'll see at the far right, you know, what the equivalent business. So that way you can kind of see where the bulk of our effort is going with the staff that we have. Going through all of that, uh, you can see that, uh, you know, we're short one FTE position and that's before we even look at things like uh, sick and, and uh, vacation coverage. Once we add in sick and vacation coverage, it goes into 7.7 FTE, FTE positions. So what this demonstrates is a, a need for an additional staff person to be uh, allocated to that department uh, to make sure that we're covering off those facilities adequately and making sure we're doing our due diligence and performing the work because uh, at the end of the day you know, we'll, we'll make sure that uh, we're in compliance with our water and wastewater approvals 
for each of those facilities and we're abiding by all federal and provincial acts regulations and standards so the financial impl implications of this are the additional staff position represents an addition of about $95,000. Now part of this is offset by reducing existing overtime that uh, staff is putting in right now uh, to cover off this work. And right now we're kind of uh, around that $20,000 uh, to date and probably $30,000 per annum of overtime that we're spending just covering a lot of this work off and, and it's you know and starting to, to slip that we're noticing as well so the options that we have is to increase the staff allocation uh, to 7.0 FTE and authorize uh, administration to hire one additional staff uh, and that would uh, be an immediate hire Option two is to consider that and include it as part of the deliberations for the 2019 uh, budget. And then, uh, or option three is do not increase the staff allocation and maintain the current uh, 6.0 FTE allocations. Mr. Mayor, I have a question or two. Okay. Um, so, Mr. McQuaig, I didn't quite catch who was looking after the airport treatment, water treatment plant before it was turned over to the water department. That would have been the air, airport staff. Okay, so the airport staff has somehow decreased, would be decreasing by 0.7 in order, or not 0.7 I guess, but something, because they didn't look after this anymore? I think the level of effort that the airport people put into it was substantially less than what the water department is and should be putting into it. Um, for example, the requirement for testing and reporting. Um, that's something that the water or the airport people um, weren't doing at the time and they should have been. So this is a, 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 an activity where we realized that we were under um, performing what we should have been doing okay. and that is being rectified okay and the other question uh, has to do wanna, with the um, uh, estimate to on uh, overtime and so on so in the chart it says 7.0 is required to fill whatever and then there's another 0.7 that's required for vacation and training so is that 0.7 becoming overtime still because somehow the coverage needs to happen? So essentially that uh, covers any, uh, essentially covers vacation and sick time. So basically that's a standard computation. We're uh, looking at 9% overhead. Um, so what, do, what is that in terms of dollars? Like down below it says they're hoping to save 20 to 30,000 by hiring this extra position, offsetting the 95,000. Uh, the point seven would be equating to what amount? Do, do you remember too that uh, Randy and myself are salaried, so there's no extra dollar figure there. Yeah, and this is so we're putting in extra time free of charge. Time in lieu. 
getting back to your original point, Elaine, uh, the point seven. Bear with me. Yep. So a point seven FTE would represent roughly about sixty six thousand dollars. So is the $66,000 going to have to be spent on top of the 95000 if the next person was hired? I would say a, a portion of that would be true because there's still that, uh, that, and when I'm talking overhead, it's yep. not over time. Yeah, yeah, okay. It is just vacation, sick, and training coverage. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. I think uh, what Mr. Town didn't point out was that the airport's water and wastewater treatment systems, when they were under airport staff, were run by a non certified individual, which is uh, against the regulations against the approval, the contravention of the approval. So, uh, although I guess Ms. Mazur's point was, is, and, and your was, can we transfer some of that purse, some that individual over to water and wastewater? And you're saying that no, because they were not spending the time they were supposed to water that's correct the time the airport staff spent on the water and sewer activities were um, you know not, not that much during the month other questions um, I actually think that uh, well, I guess a question for you, Mr. Town, is so if we were to do an immediate hire, where where do we find the money since it hasn't been budgeted for? And we run a balanced budget in the town, don't we? We do. So, um, no, if you wanted to do it immediately, um, we would just absorb it within the existing account structure and budget. Um, we're trending under a few expenditure areas, so I don't think it would necessarily impact the overall position of the water sewer fund. So there would be no need to go and, and review or adjust um, any of the water rates. So there's no impact um, for what would be a three or four month um, position as we get into the end of the year. Um. Uh, so we, so next week we don't have a regular council meeting. We just have a PAG meeting, and then what after that? September tenth is our next regular council meeting. 
So uh, if council wanted more time to think about this, but still, uh, uh, obviously you want to hire this individual if, if council uh, okays it. Could you do the advertising, start the advertising now and wait for the official decision in two weeks time? Uh, that would, uh, was, I guess the only, yeah, we could probably do that because even putting it, the posting does not mean that we do have to hire. We just can't offer any uh, award uh, that a person can start until right. such time but as council approves. So these two weeks to get the ad out there mm -hmm. and comb through the resumes, so. So, Mr. Mayor. Yeah. Are, are we then not saying that we are approving the 7.0? Because otherwise, we shouldn't be advertising something we that's debatable. Well, we can advertise. We can advertise and uh, make a decision two weeks from now. Mm. I don't know what I would hear between now and two weeks to change my mind. I, I'm okay with the recommendation. Okay. I'm fine with it. Um, if we're going to start voting, I'm going to put a motion that we follow the recommendation. Okay. Why Secret. Why take a straw poll when that's what we can actually just vote? Because once you make the vote and uh, you vote against it, you can't bring it back for a year. Sure. <laughs> so you'd go for it then. I'm assuming the people on the on the phone would probably go for it. So, what's your motion? Um, my motion is that we follow the recommendation and, and okay. uh, hiring of the position as required. So, your motion is to uh, to adopt option. Okay. okay. All in favor? In favor. In favor. Okay. It's passed. Thank you. Thank you. Your Worship, would you uh, entertain another motion on the floor? Uh, is it relevant to what we just discussed? Um, in regards to earlier, yes. Uh, well, if that is. But is it, is it, does it have to do with what we just talked about? No, in regards to the RCMP presentation. Go ahead, make a motion. I don't think it's on the agenda, but we're all about the protocol. Okay, I, uh, thank you, Your Worship. I'd like to put a motion on the floor that the town of Peace River uh, support and uh, adapt the crime mapping program that the RCMP presented tonight on our social media pages. Well, maybe we should wait for that one so Autumn can uh, figure out whether she has the resources and whether she can do that and they can bring that because your your administration hasn't had an opportunity to, okay. to figure out whether they want the, uh, they're able to manage that. Yeah, to my understanding, it's just uh, something to do with our IT person here, but we'll confirm that. Um, so, do you want me to? To withdraw my motion then or uh, we'll, we'll 
we'll assume that it never happened since <laughs> since we 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 went around the protocol anyhow. Okay. Um, so that was the last. So there's a the other two items are under information, right? The briefing note on the drying beds and the road maintenance. Oh no, the uh, should I say the the road maintenance and the uh, neighborhood infrastructure renewal updates. I did it. So is, is there a a re report from Chamber of Commerce as well? We're going to do uh, we're going to do information first. Okay. So, Your Worship, Council, just two uh, briefing notes uh, to present today. Uh, Deal with the road maintenance uh, 2018 status first, and this is kind of uh, asked by uh, council to present some information on uh, our current status in terms of road maintenance, given that we have a lot of concerns coming about uh, for potholes this year. So, with regards to road maintenance, basically uh, it's tackled under a number of different different programs, uh, both capital and O&M. So under the uh, capital side, uh, basically the one that covers uh, uh, paving of uh, streets and uh, road maintenance is based on our neighborhood infrastructure renewal program. So this basically will target uh, completing 103rd Street from 118th Avenue to 115th Avenue, and that is a complete overhaul of that street. So that includes uh, replacing the sub-base space and the asphalt overlay in there. And then selective curb, uh, not cub, but curb, gutter and sidewalk replacement uh, will also be included in that project as well. So that's basically where, uh, on the capital side, where we're doing some road maintenance. Then under O&M, basically, uh, we have a couple programs. One is our crack sealing program, which should be uh, trying to find an opportunity to get our tender out to, to get that one done and uh, get the tender ready and just going to get that to hit the street. Talk to uh, a couple of our suppliers that do that uh, work and they are still able to complete over the month of September, early October and make sure that we get that done before snow flies. Our pothole patching program, uh, we do that ongoing through the summer and uh, that one there is one where uh, generally what we'll do is for the smaller potholes uh, we'll use our cold mix application and uh, with a sealant over top and usually that's the one that we see our our town uh, public works staff going around and uh, they tend to try to spend a, a, a better day a week just uh, attending potholes just uh, this year, uh, we're definitely up in our pothole count as complete, uh, compared to prior years, and that uh, is due to just the significant cold weather that we encountered last year, a lot more frosties, uh, kind of spalling out a, a lot of our asphalt. So uh, 
Public Works has been trying to keep on top of that one and we'll be doing some more this week uh, going around and, and patching those as well. Uh, line painting also falls under road maintenance as well and that one there were uh, pretty much done our line painting and this week uh, they're just kind of completing the uh, curb painting for uh, for both uh, accessibility stalls and uh, also for no parking stalls and things like that. So we'll be completing those uh, curb paints uh, over this week and as well as uh, getting a few of our accessibility stalls marked out as well, the ones that haven't been done yet. Uh, there are one or two that we haven't been able to get to yet because we need to get uh, our asphalt paving uh, completed in some of those areas as well. Which brings me to the, the last program that we kind of do every year is kind of an overall asphalt paving uh, O&M program. And basically this covers all our water breaks. And those are the ones I think that uh, residents are seeing most. And so uh, that one went out to tender last month and, it, and the tender award went out last week to uh, Knelson Sand and Gravel and they'll be completing that between now and end of September. So uh, by the end of September, we'll have all those uh, remedial areas that have the, the water breaks over this last year uh, complete. Now, one of the things we did include uh, as part of this year's program is our uh, summer trail paving. So we had about uh, $75,000 uh, worth of trail paving allocated within the O&M budget, which uh, comes out of Director Bell's budget. But we um, put our heads together and decide to uh, do this under one tender. And so that gets included under this uh, paving program as well. So that will be captured within there as well. And then, uh, so that basically expends the, the, the majority of our budget for paving this year. Uh, we will try to do, if I can find money within our existing budget to do some additional paving, we'll, we'll tackle that as well. But always mindful of uh, trying to keep to our budget as best we can. And uh, just looking at uh, what we've uh, got ahead for us uh, going into next year, we'll probably relook at that budget as we go into the 2019 budget deliberations. Uh, and one of the things that we kind of identified last year going into 2019 is uh, going back to having an overlay uh, program as well, where you know, so similar to what we did for an overlay program up in Saddleback last year, uh, we did about $350,000 of pavement, pavement overlay last year. Uh, due to budget restrictions this year, we kind of skipped this year, but we'll be looking at bringing that forward back into next year's budget. Any questions at this point? So what is the bottom of the count up to? Um, that one I, I would have to go back and check the motion. So the work that you've described uh, to come is about how many dollars? So for uh, that one, I know it's uh, just excluding the, the trail itself was 75000 and the remainder of the paving under that contract was 52000 Thanks. Councillor Good? So, so what are we looking at time frames to get Main Street cleaned up? 
Okay, so uh, Main Street is the province of Alberta Transportation, so that is their maintenance responsibility. But I understand, is the paving of where the dirt? So uh, we are, yeah, we are repairing the water break locations on those two areas. Right. And so those ones are going to be due debt. They will be completed by end of September. Those are included under this contract. Okay, just just for my clarification. The water breaks are already prepared, am I correct? No, the, the water, water, breaks, water are, breaks is currently graveled over. So the one being by, I think it's by the, the old shell. shell. And, and there's the one, one right up front of the office here. Right. But they've been graveled over since, since, since the, the water snow, breaks, basically yeah. since the snow melted. So my, my question is, because um, I get asked this quite often, why, I mean, I understand the bit of the delay because you want some compaction and stuff like that. But the main street of town has been looking kind of uh, ratty yes. because of that since then. And it seems to me that we've basically gone through our whole spring and summer. And it's the same as it was at the beginning of the spring and summer. Yeah, so typically we do do those ones in September. And usually the reason why we do them in September is that we get better pricing for actual paving during uh, you know, the latter part of August, September, early October. Uh, and because we're com also competing against Alberta Transportation for, for paving. So if we want those done in early July, our costs are going to go up. I understand that. Um, but there's also the, the impact, the negative impact on uh, businesses downtown and the viability of the downtown of having people taking a look at where they're going to be driving and where they're going to be making their decisions. Yeah. Um, that's sort of a negative impact also that um, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure it might be a false economy in some ways. I'm just bringing that up because, and it's, and it's a, quite a heavy frustration level for people over and over and over to keep going over the same thing all the time and getting the same, no, I mean, we have, we drive down here too. I drive down here too. I get it all the time. But we're putting money into beautification of downtown, which I think is a good investment. I mean, I, I think the murals are a great thing. Some people think whatever the heck, but I think they're a good thing. I think you want your downtown to look good. But our downtown didn't look so good in some spots. No, understood. And, and to be honest, this has been a, it was an unusual year for water breaks. Uh, so we did get caught a little bit like that as well. Uh, but there again, you know, by false, it's part of my responsibility to get the, the biggest bang for the buck that I can get. I, I understand that, but Main Street then, as far as that, was not the responsibility of highways because we're doing the paving and we did the water breaks, correct? And that's the only reason that we're doing paving those locations because they were our water breaks. No, I understand that. Yeah. I'm talking about the original comment about Main Street is highways. It is. Yes. Except for the part that we're responsible for. If we have a water break and it breaks, it, then the paving becomes our responsibility, not, made, not highways. Okay. What kind of, just so that to ballpark it, what kind of percentage of savings are you? are we talking about when we say it's cheaper uh, a dollar less is cheaper it, but you know what I mean right I am looking probably about 20% higher 
Okay. For actual, yeah. You know, if, and that's if all things being equal, and, and it depends upon the year. Some years, if there's heavy demand for uh, local pavement, then it goes up. Right. Uh, a year before when transportation was uh, doing a lot of their pavement overlays last year, uh, up on the, the Upper West Hill, you just weren't going to get the actual because transportation had the commitment and they had the bigger contracts and we weren't going to get anybody to bid on those until September. Correct. Well, I guess uh, for next year, if people want, want it done earlier, uh, you'll budget for that and, uh, and then uh, councillors can make a decision whether to raise taxes or not. I'm uh, just I, I'm not going to pile on here, uh, Your Worship, uh, but I, I will add. I, I certainly hear what Councillor Good is saying. I think everybody around this table has heard about, you know, the, the water main breakdown at Boston Pizza or the, the shell. I think goes back to January. Uh, but moving on, I must give uh, give uh, the town group, uh, you know, a, a thumbs up. That 99th Street. Uh, I see e-construction was in there today and uh, they've got 99th Street fixed up and that street was only open, um, I'm going to say maybe two weeks and I'm looking at Councillor Good because he drives over it every day. So uh, there are some successes out there. So uh, if, if that's the model we can find, I'm all, I'm all for that. But uh, e-construction did a great job and uh, that street is back in shape. So. Uh, if, if that could be the standard, it would be wonderful. I, I have no idea what that costs. That was Alberta Transportation, though, wasn't it? Uh, on 99th Street, believe that. Yeah, I presume those dollars would have came out of the uh, out of the program for the slides. But the point is that the resources are there, but it's how deep are your pockets to, to pay the bill, I guess. Well, we want to make sure Councillor Good gets home on a nice smooth street. <laughs> and and uh, coming to work, well, that's a different yeah. matter. <laughs> and, and, uh, just to put forth to him, always in discussions with the Alberta Transportation on their portions on uh, maintenance on their sections, uh, and that includes the roundabout and the remainder of Main Street as well. We're constantly communications on that end and trying to make sure that uh, we're keeping each other honest in that regard. Just again, Your Worship, I, I'm, uh, I'm waiting for the mayor to cut me off, but once you open up the door for Colin Needham and infrastructure, this bridge construction is the next thing that keeps coming up. I've had numerous stories that I could tell council about I-beams being dragged across in front of my car that are 60 feet long and weigh thousands of pounds with a front-end motor across the, that street, and the condition of that sidewalk is horrible. I, I ride my bike or I walk down there. I I know there's a construction committee uh, gym and it would be great if, if, if something could be done. Uh, yes, I know it's a construction zone, but it, it's wash the street, clean the sidewalk. It's just little things. And the, some of their behaviors around that site in terms of moving equipment, it's I, I can't believe it. Uh, they dragged an I-beam in front of my car and that thing was big enough that it stretched from one side of the street to the other and I don't know how many thousands of pounds it was but I have no idea what that asphalt is like underneath but I suspect when the bridge is done it's that street's gonna have to be redone I, I don't see any option <laughs> 
And actually, we've kind of talked to Alberta Transportation about that and making sure that before they leave, everything is, you know, any, any place where they've had impact on our streets, that they've restored that to. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. And for the taxpayers listening, it's good to hear that report because I, that's the other point is that we're going to hold, hold the contractors' feet to the fire. So that's, that's good to hear. So that concludes that briefing note, and uh, Council also wanted a quick update on the neighborhood. Uh, wiring that question. Oh, I'll, I'll just, just, a, just a short thing, and, and I think too, one of the big parts of, of this that, that are coming out is the communication aspect of it. If we can tell people that, look, we're gonna get a, you know, 20%, which works out to, you know, however many thousands of dollars in savings or whatever if we can if we can be patient and 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 that's that's information we want to get to our citizens if they're asking the questions over and over and over again we need to give them the right answer and the real answer as opposed to well no answer i suppose um so that's that's good information and if they come back with we don't care that it's 20 percent cheaper we want it done now well then we can make that decision you know so that, that that's kind of part of it um, so, any questions uh, remaining on road maintenance? Uh, so, the other portion that uh, Council wanted me to touch on tonight, but I don't have a written briefing note, uh, just going to run out of time today, uh, was just an update on the neighborhood renewal program. And uh, one of the things that we've had to look at with the neighborhood renewal program that and recognizing that this this project is phased over four years uh, we've run into kind of uh, some slow going areas on 103rd street and we knew that that was going to be probably the most challenging portion of the entire project just due to uh, the state it was in previously uh, what we had to get in there and it doesn't have rear alley access into there so we're confined to to working on the street itself and working around those conditions and and also kind of working with our residents in that area as well and trying to make sure that we're providing them reasonable access in and out of that site so what that has caused us to do is uh, kind of look at how far we can get this year and uh, in a reasonable time frame and to get everything cleaned up and my one condition was before we uh, close up the project for this phase I want to make sure that 103 is put back completely it's paved all the curb and gutters done all the sidewalk is done so that way you know residents aren't left with you know conditions that we've seen in previous saddleback pro projects where you know you got gravel roads for a year or two before things get cleaned up. I didn't want to leave that project in that kind of state. So what I've done is I've said, okay, let's shift uh, the work that we're going to do by the Catholic Church, that little section there around River Road. That is a section, you know, we can shift till next spring. Now that the project is awarded, we can get that phase uh, up and running sooner. And uh, so it will slightly delay that portion of the project, but I think we'll be able to be able to get that done and the rest of phase two fairly comfortably uh, next summer. So once again, the, the reason I wanted to do that was make sure that when we live one or third street, it's we're living it in a, in a fairly good state for our residents up there. So uh, one or third street will be 
So you, you're going to finish that project off. You're not going to start the phase one by the Catholic Church until next spring. That's correct. When when is phase one, 103rd Street? When's the when's the new scheduled finish date? So that one there will be finished uh, by mid-October. Okay. Yeah. And that's where we're going to button up and close up for the year. Okay. And so it's probably a good thing global warming is here because otherwise it'd be snowing. <laughs> if it didn't be uh, three decades we, earlier. Yeah. Well, it should just be uh, landscaping items by the end of October, or oh, okay. by the middle of October. It should be landscaping. We'll have our paving in place probably the last week of September, September or first week of October. So we should be in good shape. And did, how much did we lose due to rain days and rain delays? Or was it just uh, just structural? Uh, you ran into uh, uh, quite a few more engineering problems. Than you. Yeah, essentially, what we ran, ran into were, were soil conditions. Uh, just over the years, with no, numerous repairs going into those locations, repairing water. There's a lot more sands and fines and into where we're trenching into. So the contractor found he couldn't get a trench box in there uh, just due to the width and where the location the utilities were and to open cut and uh, through that section. And we found a lot of sandy soils, which kind of uh, significantly slowed up his progress in pulling back those soils, getting a portion completed and putting it back again. Any questions for Mr. Uh, go ahead. Um, so I know we didn't get the official briefing item, but is that will that be coming out perhaps later just for public information and that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, I just wanted that one to the briefing. I just didn't have time to no wrap up today. Appreciate it. Okay, so that's the those are Mr. McQuiggs, two information items. There is a is there an information item that was put on the agenda package, uh, Northeast Housing Foundation? There, yes. Yes, it's on the updated web version. Okay. Um, you, so that's the that's the business plan that was requested by uh, Deputy Mayor Manzer, I believe. Correct. That's correct. Okay. Um, any anything more you want to add there deputy mayor so um councillor good who's our rep um thanks for doing this uh my question is north peace housing in this business plan talks about communication and can you just update council on um how communication will change in the future if this plan is followed with uh, municipalities and residents in general? Well, I can't go into a lot of details because I don't think the whole package has been fleshed out, but I think there's um, definitely an acknowledgement that better communication helps everybody. And I think that um, communications with the municipalities is giving, the, well, there actually I think the communication with municipalities has been overall, over the years, considered adequate. Um, I would say that because each municipality has a member that's on the board at all times, and that's every municipality. 
and municipalities always have the opportunity to bring any concerns or um, comments that they would like to make to North Peace Housing and that's they probably have the quickest and best access of anybody and um, it's kind of up to the municipalities to a degree to take advantage of that. Um, remembering that North Peace Housing is an independent management body like the school board and um, the school board um, communicates by putting their business plans on their website which is normally how um, the North Peace Housing has done that. Um, there was a copy of the business plan that had been forwarded to Peace River. It was not added to the agenda, but a paper copy of it had been forwarded to the uh, town of Peace River, and the minutes are also forwarded. I'm going to be making uh, a request to have those added as they come to the minutes of each uh, council meeting that's appropriate. So I think that'll improve in that area, at least as far as Peace River is concerned. How the other municipalities choose to handle it is to a large extent up to them. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that would be a very good thing to do. And then it's another avenue for our residents to know what's going on. Um, with respect to saying it's on the website, that's good, but um, I think we do have a responsibility to uh, um, update our public in a little more fashion than just go to the website and find it out sort of thing. So thank you for that and um, I hope all goes well. And the last uh, comment, um, so in the business plan there is uh, a thought that uh, Stonebrook in Grimshaw would sooner or later come under uh, North Peace Housing. Yeah, that's certainly a consideration. And one of the reasons for that is uh, if you go back probably about actually from the time I was on the board previously, North Peace Housing had had a plan to develop, um, I think at the time we were looking at a 60 to 80 uh, unit development in Fairview. Um, and that was sort of coinciding with the uh, needs analysis that we had done about 10 years ago. I can't remember the exact date. But the needs analysis um, was either build one huge facility in Peace River of about, uh, I think it was 19 plus, maybe 160 units in Peace River. But the decision was made that, you know, Grimshaw is an important community in this region, so we should look at doing the Peace River facility first and then take a look at a facility in Grimshaw. The provincial government under the Conservatives decided that they were going to go for triple fee partnerships and gave partnerships to a couple of other groups. Um, that developed housing initiatives the that really messed up to be honest with you, they messed up North Peace Housing's plan because all of a sudden there were these other facilities that they were competing that North Peace Housing was competing with and uh, it really had some financial impacts well there's about a 15% profit figure that we estimate that any private facility has to have that North Peace Housing doesn't have to have in order to do housing and there has been uh, requests made by different uh, private organizations that they might be willing to transition away if North Peace Housing had an interest in getting involved in their facilities. And actually the time frame coincides almost identically with what North Peace Housing was intending to have a facility in, uh, in Grimshaw. And the size of the facility is actually fairly um, coincidentally or otherwise is actually fairly much in line with what we were looking at. And we believe that it, uh, 
we're trying to make North Peace housing as economically viable as we can, which is one of the reasons for closing the Berwyn Lodge and moving uh, population into Peace River was to get rid of a roughly $500,000 a year, 500,000 I think it was, roughly a deficit every year. And uh, consolidating those populations has really brought that down. And we believe that we can also use the uh, funding that we have to potentially take, take a look at the uh, facility in Grimshaw as being part of that going forward, which will allow us to maybe make it a bit more competitive for people in the Grimshaw area. Two more questions, if I may. Um, the other uh, big thing I thought was in there was um, changes to Spruce Court in the north end of town. Yes. Uh, and um, okay. is that a pretty sure plan? It's uh, certainly the plan that we'd like to see going forward. Um, we have we have vacancies actually in our in our social housing. By the way, just so you know, there has not been a waiting list of social housing in North Peace Housing since around 2007. So if you hear it, there's a okay. And the other question is, does all of this um, is it going to um, impact the levy that's charged to the town? Uh, no, because the social housing is not part of the requisition. Social housing is funded entirely by the provincial government. And that's one of the reasons that we're taking a look at um, sort of making it a bit better for housing, like in the Spruce Court development, is that we have some houses, for example, that are really not in a, how would I put it, an advantageous situation for repairing. So we're looking at divesting ourselves with some of some of those uh, properties and putting that money into better housing, more energy efficient housing, and more economical housing. Because one thing that people are not aware of is that, for example, in the subsidized housing, uh, North Peace Housing pays for heat. And if we build some uh, townhouses, they have shared walls, they're going to be a lot more efficient to heat, which is lower the costs and also lower the cost for housing the people that we do have, to, that we are supposed to be providing for in Peace River. And like I say, right now we, we don't have any waiting lists, so it's kind of an opportune time to do that. But that will be to some extent also contingent upon the provincial government coming up with certain funding. And if Stonebrook went under North Peace Housing, would it be some of its costs uh, come through to us in a levy? Oh, that would be part of the North Peace Housing requisition, absolutely. Um, because that was, like I say, if North Peace Housing had built the development in Grimshaw, which we were planning, that would have been under the requisition also. And the requisition can be used either for building or for acquiring housing. There's no problem with that under the provincial legislation. And remember that North Peace Housing does not requisition municipalities. North Peace Housing requisitions individual property tax people and the function of the municipality is to collect that tax the same as the school tax on behalf of the uh, foundation thank you thank you i have a couple of questions sure if that's fine you know john i really appreciate the plan as well thank you for for getting that for us and uh, but you know, I, I have a couple of concerns about some of the the future plans. Like we talked about Spruce Court, and I, I've been in some of those uh, residents, so I, I know what you're talking about. But it really seems like there's some divesting of the family housing, John. Okay. 
Okay, uh, Cam, I'm having a problem here. Can you turn that one off? Here? Sorry. Go ahead, start over. So, so it looks like they're divesting of some of the family housing. Yeah, well, very likely because we do not have waiting lists and also some of the family housing is becoming uneconomical. And remember, that doesn't come back to the municipality. Family housing is funded by the government, provincial government. So each year, the province put, pardon me, North Peace Housing puts together a budget and we present that to the, we put that budget, what we would like to see happen, we put that to the provincial government. And we can say that we would like We'd like to rebuild five houses. Just I'm throwing some numbers out here that are not accurate, but just concepts. We want to repair this many buildings. We want to uh, rebuild this many buildings, etc., forth and so on. And the government comes back and says, "This is your budget," and then we have to operate within the budget that they give us. So if they don't give it, when we take a look at how we're going to handle the money that they give us, we could, for example, put all that money into rebuilding a couple of those units. But then we wouldn't have the money to maintain the housing that we already have adequately. And let's say somebody moves out. If we spent that money on rebuilding a house, we don't have the money in reconditioning a unit that we could make available. So it's always a balancing act between what we would like to do and what we see as the potential there and what the province is looking for for funding. So we're probably going to be coming to the municipalities and asking them to advocate on our behalf, especially sometime in the near future due to changing political considerations that maybe we'd like to see them maybe advocate for some increased funding in the family housing stuff. We'd like to see it too. So the reason I ask, Don, is because we had sort of, at, at our council said, you know, we're going to turn to North Peace Housing for the advice on what to do for the homeless issue and for affordable housing in our community. And this plan seems like they're divesting of this family housing and so have, is that need being met? And maybe today isn't the time to talk about it, maybe we need to have further talk, but it was just something that occurred to me while I was reading that plan. Well, you're quite correct, but also remember that North Peace Housing is not the housing, is not supposed to be or intended to be the housing facility of last resort. Um, for example, we turn down people for housing. Um, and we will, and we'll do it again and again and again. For example, if someone have had housing previously in our own facilities or in another housing body and we're aware of debts that they owe those other bodies, we're not going to rent to them. If they've trashed facilities previously or had damaged facilities before, we're not going to do it. Uh, North Peace Housing, there's no requirement upon North Peace Housing to, to rent to everybody. And again, we're not even seen by the government as the housing of last resort. Um, I think North Peace Housing can certainly give information based on our needs analysis of some of the work we've done that would assist um, in, in providing different kinds of housing, but that either may or may not come under the North Peace Housing um, mandate. It could come under a municipal mandate if the municipality chose to get involved in that. That's not, uh, it's not necessarily North Peace Housing role. As I mentioned before, um, North Peace Housing role is not to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks. It's to make sure that nobody falls through North Peace Housing's cracks according to their mandate. And you know what, Don? I do appreciate those statements. I guess what I'm challenging the council again with is that when this issue was coming to the table in the fall last year, or the end of the or winter time of last year, we said as a council, well, we're going to turn this issue back over to North Peace Housing because they're the experts in this. So having said that, um, 
I'm just putting it out to my fellow council people that uh, where are we at with this concept and idea? And again, this was provided for information. Sure. We can set this aside to have further discussion because I'm not disputing what you're saying, Don. Yeah, I understand, I understand that, Johanna. And I think that, like I say, I think North Peace, North Peace Housing would like to be a partner in it. We'll certainly take a look at what the, the things that we can provide, but we also have the restrictions that are placed on us by our mandate, the same as Council has restrictions and opportunities that are uh, put in place by Council's mandate. But I think it's a discussion that we should have going forward, and I can tell you that North Peace Housing is having discussions with people and other the other groups and organizations that are involved in social housing to see what kind of a role we can play. Okay, thanks Don. I appreciate taking a moment to go back and forth on this with me. Thank you very much. Okay, I don't believe there's any further information items. I, 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 Your Worship, there was the, oh sorry, not information, sorry, just a report. Um, I, I did find it interesting that uh, Stonebrook's the building and selling all seems to coincide with the uh, with with North Peace Housing's original plan. It's almost like somebody had insert insider information as a private individual and uh, <laughs> scoop North Peace Housing on it. Well, I I, I, can't, I wouldn't say it was uh, insider information. What I would say is that North Peace Housing had made its plans on the facility in Grimshaw available to the public and. If other people took advantage of that, um, I guess that's certainly highly possible. Right. As I've, I've been quoted as saying, possible before, so I guess I'll say possible again. Yeah, it's always the danger of putting proprietary information out of camera. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, we'll go back to reports. Uh, there's actually one report, uh, Chamber of Commerce minute meetings for May 2018. Uh, Ms. Downing is the uh, is the council rep on that committee. Is there anything she wants to underscore? Your Worship, not really. I've been tardy in uh, submitting my report, so I'm just trying to get myself caught up. So are you going to submit January, February, March, and April? As well. I, I did do that, but we thought it was only relevant to put this last one in. Okay, okay I will uh, take But does anyone have any questions about it? Deputy Mayor Mazur? Uh, no, not right now, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I'll accept a motion to accept two i need two motions one to accept uh, information items one through three i would move that for uh for information all in favor of if you mayor master's motion great and the other one would be to accept the chamber of commerce minute meetings for may 2018 uh for are there any notices of motion, Mr. Town? There is no, Your Worship. Uh, we will take comments from the public who, while they were all keen and ready to go at the beginning of the meeting, they seem to have drifted away. So uh, I'm assuming there will be no comments from the public. Uh, we will s now speak to key communication items. So 
I will uh, turn to the Record Gazette and CKYL to see if uh, they want any interview time, sound bites. Does Greg want to expand on just the reports given by Donald, Lee, and the libraries? Any, or if Tom, any official comments about that tomorrow? Well, we look forward to a successful, another successful ski season. <laughs> Actually, it is in our strategic plan to uh, to to provide. What, what does it say in the strategic? Um, I don't think it says uh, supply stable funding, but it would help make them more financially viable. Yeah, more sustainable. Sustainable. Yeah. And on the library, uh, even though the $24 family rate is back in because it's not Canada's 150, it's it's still a good deal. Go buy a library membership. There's fabulous resources <laughs> over there. You read 6,000 newspapers and cost you zero. So, that's awesome. That's awesome. How about we need all these photo ops? So this library card, now they put the town logo on the back? I, mine is still the, the Linda held up her card, the, 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 the track card. The, I still have that. I didn't realize, maybe JD knows she's on the line, what the new ones look like, but I presume that what happened was in one, in last year, Canada's 150, that the new cards were produced with crest on the back but I'm guessing I I never I'm just listening to what she said My, mine is the old one which is fine the, the important thing is to get to get the number but last year we were trying to we were trying to well we were trying to get the library to get uh, a corporate sponsor exactly uh, to put some money towards yeah. the library and offer them the uh, right. logo on the back and they said no we can't do that right. Now they could do that, but they don't want to. I don't want to touch private companies because. I, it's, <laughs> Your Worship, I'm not sure they said no. We can't do that. I think they said this isn't the right time as a group for us to do that. But it's certainly something that's being looked at. Yeah, that's that's probably how North Peace Housing feels about their family units. It's not the right time to look at. This. <laughs> I'm laughing too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Colin, are you available for a photo tomorrow, perhaps? Awesome. Early afternoon? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. And. Or I'll meet you at the library. Pardon me? Yeah. <laughs> yes, but unfortunately, I don't know my schedule quite yet. So, I'll give you a Thanks. Right? Is there an official decision about the public facing crime acting? Gotcha. Uh, we'll. Uh, we'll. Um, we'll make a final decision in two weeks' time, but. I would say that uh, probably the likelihood is yes. We just want to make sure that our yep. IT people are bought into the program. Okay, and I think the RCB will do most of it anyways, correct? Well, that and uh, we we don't want councillors Ford's enthusiasm to blind our uh, our decision making ability. <laughs> Gee, that's our fiduciary <laughs> obligations. Gee, don't be so enthusiastic. What a this 
work piece housing stuff is much separate issue and uh, uh, that'll be a, a different Call me. primary focus. Call primary me. Focus. I'll get my people in touch with your people. Sure, let's do that. Okay, that's great. Okay. I'm sure you have a short sound bite for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have short sound. <laughs> I think that was the point he was underscoring. <laughs> you want to talk to Sandra Easton? <laughs> yeah, defer, defer, defer. Okay, Jim, are you? Would you like to chat about the what uh, the discussion your, about your presentation about the repairs, etc., about the thanks to this information clearly given to me by a very knowledgeable person? I we can just do an article because I think yeah. Byron made a good point that people want to know what's going on. Yeah, we will. Whatever the whatever the facts are, it's just nice to get a good Maybe Friday afternoon, or is that too late? Yeah. Friday afternoon morning. Pardon me. Would Friday afternoon work? Would Tuesday or Wednesday work? His RFPs to do. <laughs> I thought you awarded them already to Knielsen and Sandra Gravel. <laughs> Wednesday? Okay, that'd be awesome. So uh, I'll give you a shovel. Yeah. And then, I don't have anything else at this very moment. Laura? I'm uh, waiting on a commentary as well. Oh, you can talk to Orrin for He'll give you a sound bite or two. Is that what you're looking for? Wednesday? Okay. I do have one more question, and that's I think that there's of course a huge event on the weekend with Darcy. And is there, I don't know much about what's going on yet. I haven't talked to Tannen. But is the town going to be an official presence there? At the, at the, uh, games? Uh, we haven't been asked, and uh, we haven't been given any free tickets. They're all gone. <laughs> so, Sold out. It just, this is a, a navigator event, yeah. which they are doing specifically it, for the Humboldt team. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a town of Peace River activity. And no. they are it's purposely keeping it low key from the navigator's perspective even, because their homeowner, a home opener, sorry, on September 22nd will be the yeah. event, yeah. which will include dignitaries and the such. So there is more to come. This is a, a separate um, event all yeah. in itself. It's yeah. not even necessarily the the memorial. That's the September twenty second event. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. This is just yeah. a friendly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I have the honors. Yeah, I mentioned I've been formally asked by the navigators to work their game, so I will be there. At the on the 22nd? Yeah. Nice. Not on, not on behalf of the town. Uh, okay, well, we'll uh, take a break for about 10 minutes, and Laura can get her sound bites and uh, go from there. Okay.